I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Nancy Crusher wrote a humor column about family life for Massachusetts newspapers for 13 years. Her collection of those columns, titled The Motherlode, was a finalist for Forward Review's Book of the Year in Humor and the Independent Publishers of New England 2014 Book Award. A graduate of Middlebury College, she earned a master's degree in English language and literature from the University of Minnesota, is an alumna of Grub Street's Novel Incubator Program, and worked as a development editor for various educational publishers. Her essays have appeared in the Boston Globe, Writer's Digest, and others. She began her fiction career when her daughters were young by penning creative notes to excuse their tardiness at school. With her girls now grown, she lives north of Boston with her husband, a lawyer and a marathoner, and a few houseplants that could use more attention. Graceland is her first novel, which Leanne Moriarty, the New York Times bestselling author, said, Graceland is a sparkling, warm-hearted, witty debut. I so enjoyed joining these three generations of women on their action-packed road trip to Memphis. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you. Happy to be here. Nancy, you cut your teeth writing creative tardy excuses for your daughters. Care to share any of those? <laughs> yeah, that, that I like to joke that that's how I started writing fiction anyways, because <laughs> for years I had a column about family life in the local newspapers. And that was mostly, mostly true, actually. But the fiction came out when I had to decide exactly why we had the third flat tire on the way to school or, you know, why my daughter couldn't manage to get out the the door without wearing flip-flops when I wanted her to wear shoes, that sort of thing. You went from writing those notes for your daughters to a collection of essays called The Mother Load. Tell us about that. The Mother Load was actually a collection of some of the better, more popular, my favorite pieces from the years that I was writing the newspaper column. That spanned over 13 years, and people were asking if I would collect it into a book. And so I finally decided to do that just before I moved on to fiction writing, sort of an end of one era and moving on to the next one. Big Bub calls your debut novel one of the best books of spring. Tell us about Graceland. Graceland is the story of a single mom who is forced to chase her Elvis-obsessed mother and her pink-haired teenage daughter to Memphis to stop them from revealing the long-held secret of hers. Looks like a really fun book. It sounds like there's also a serious secret in it, too. Yeah, it's meant to be humorous, but it does contain some serious themes and some metaphors and imagery. So I like to consider it upmarket or book club fiction. I think it has questions that book clubs would like to discuss. But on the other hand, it is, I think, a fun, hopefully heartwarming story. Different age groups are represented in it. Grandmother, mother, and daughter. That's right. Yes, yes. It's definitely multi-generational, three generations of women. The grandmother character is 79. Her name is Olivia, and she was a former soap star. She was a villainess on a TV soap opera for 35 years. The soap was eventually canceled, and she now has COPD, so she's on oxygen 
religion. And she once had a famous date with Elvis. And so she wants to see Graceland one more time before she dies. And there are reasons that her daughter, Hope, can't go back to Memphis. She wants mm-hmm. her daughter, Hope, to take her. So she convinces her granddaughter, Dylan, to drive her. Dylan is 16 years old, just has her license, is a little bit of an impulsive teenager, but also very interested in activism, especially LGBTQ issues. And so they make an interesting trio. Love the cover. Did you get a lot of input into that? Fortunately, I sort of had a vision for that. My paying work career was in educational publishing. So I worked as a development editor for like 35 years. And one of the things that I had to do in my job was write cover memos, basically help our authors think of ideas for covers. And so it was something I was used to doing. And I had studied the market for upmarket fiction, women's fiction, some of the covers out there. And I knew that I wanted bright colors. I wanted this kind of particular style. And so HarperCollins was very obliging and did a fabulous, fabulous job with it. I was very, very pleased. Yeah. Colorful. You catch your name, you catch the book title, and you know you're going on a trip. Well done. That's what people liked about that particular cover was the way the road is drawn. It draws mm-hmm. you right into the book. Elvis has been in the spotlight this last year or so. What was it that made you go, okay, I'm going to put a whole lot of Elvis in this book? <laughs> well, it's funny. Because, of course, you know, I, I started writing this book eight years ago, long before right. any any of this happened. Elvis came to me in a dream, in fact. But I had this dream where I was dating Elvis, <laughs> which is particularly funny because, number one, I'm married, and number two, Elvis is dead. So, I mean, it, it's... Uh, <laughs> like a typical dream. It made me wonder, are there women still alive? And of course there are, you know, Priscilla is still with us Mm -hmm. and Ginger Alden, who was engaged to Elvis. But I wondered about, you know, other women who might be out there who had dated Elvis and what they would be thinking, looking back on it these days. And that's where Olivia's famous date with Elvis came in and the motivation for her to go on the road trip. So Back to your original question, it was just fortuitous that as this book was going into production, the movie came out. I think there was a documentary as well that has come out. There's always biopics on Elvis. And it was, of course, very sad. What happened with Lisa Marie, it's always sad when a child predeceases mm-hmm. a parent. And that's what happened with Elvis. He was survived by both his father and, and his grandmother. And Lisa Marie, of course, you know, died before Priscilla. Have you ever been to an Elvis concert? No, I think I was in college when Elvis died and I did not ever see him in concert. I have an older sister and she had a lot of Elvis records and I am the keeper of a lot of Elvis 45s. No longer have a way to play them, but maybe someday. (laughs) So you had this former career as a development editor in educational publishing. How have your past experiences coalesced into becoming a novelist? You know, I think I always wanted to write novels, and it was just a matter of finding the time in life that I could dedicate to it. So I wrote what I could during the years when my girls were growing up, but that was mostly short pieces. I did take classes over the years in things like novel writing, screenwriting, but I just was not one of those people, and I have to applaud the people who can do this, who are writing at 11 o'clock to one in the morning because this is what they really want to do. I was not that person. Neither was I the get up at 
4.30 in the morning and write until <laughs> until you go to work. So, you know, I waited and I knew from my years of writing the column that my preference was to write things that were light and humorous. I thought that I could just take something that I had written about and, you know, develop it into a novel. And I came to find out that novel writing, of course, is a lot more complicated than simply stringing together a bunch of columns that you'd written over a period of years. And so I took a lot of courses at Grub Street, Boston's Writing Center. Mm-hmm. And in particular, there's one there. It's a year-long course called the Novel Incubator that teaches people how to write novels. And there is a craft involved. There is a skill. And you come into that program with a first draft and really workshop it. And that's where also my background as a development editor does help at that point, because one of the things that I feel like I'm best at is revision. I find first draft really, really painful. But uh, because I was an editor for so many years, and I was not a copy editor, I'm not that good with grammar and punctuation, but I would help people develop flow in their writing, you know, work on transitions, edit to lose excess words, that kind of skill helped me in polishing the final drafts and getting it down to a manageable word count. Before you did the Grub Street thing and taking classes and such, all writers at some point, we were either watching a movie, reading a book, something that told us I could do this. What were those experiences for you? I think there are books that I have read over the years that have touched me in a way and made me want to emulate them. I won't say that I felt like, oh, I could have written that book, but I wanted to have written that book. Gosh, I just finished reading. This isn't obviously what inspired me back then, but I just finished reading The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. It is wonderful. From the beginning, I was like, oh, gosh, I wish I had written that. It's so good. But around the time, I think some of the books that I was reading, I love Gabrielle Zevin's The Storied Life of A.J. Fickrey. And I've always loved Richard Rousseau's work. Straight Man was sort of a favorite comic novel of mine. I've always been a fan of Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice. Again, not saying that these are people I necessarily feel like I do write like, but who I admire and would like to reach the same audience, basically. It's fun to read outside of your genre. I don't know for you, but for me, for the longest time, I was really just trying to focus on just women's fiction and, you know, maybe some romance, maybe some suspense to kind of season the experience. But then after a while, I started reading other things, you know, things that were more literary. And and there is a little bit of carryover in what you learn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily that you're ever going to write like that particular author, but there are things that you can see, language and structure and, you know, sometimes those chances that we're afraid to take. And then you see, oh, well, this this worked out for somebody. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do admire authors who play with structure and that's not anything that I've tried yet, but I admire them. And I feel like some of them get negative feedback and they just say, no, this is the way I want to do it. And they have a vision. And that's great. Assuming that's the book that you went into Grub Street with. Yes. How did it change from what you brought in to when you finished? Well, one of the ways that it had changed, Olivia, the grandmother, was always a very strong character. And she will come off at first as kind of egotistical or self-centered 
and selfish, but she's actually doing something that is a bit different for her in that she's reached a part in her life where she's starting to think about what kind of a mother she was to her daughter. And she sort of wants to make amends for that. She wants to do a favor for her daughter. And so that informs why she's going to Graceland, going back to Memphis. Now, Hope would not consider what her mother wants to do a favor, and I'm not going to (laughs) reveal what it is. I mean, that's the other side of the coin. But in the Grub Street program, our instructor, Michelle Hoover, who is a great novelist herself, said to me, that's fine. And I believe that Olivia would do this, but I think she also has a selfish reason for going. And I think you want to mine the book for what that selfish reason is. And so Olivia actually has another reason for going to Graceland. And that also comes out in the course of the novel. So that was one thing that changed. Was it challenging to tuck that little nugget in? It was definitely a challenge because it makes Olivia's goals go in two different directions. But I think in the end, over time, it all was leading to the same outcome. So it was all good. What do you wish you had known before you started Graceland? Boy, yeah, I learned a lot in the novel Incubator about the hero's journey and how important it is for your character to have goals and have misbeliefs and wounds. And I think I had some of that in there, but it involved rethinking some of my characters over the course of the year. And I finished the program in 2019. So I revised for a couple of years after that Mm -hmm. as well. And I think knowing what I know now about novel writing, I think I could start a novel and spend less than eight years writing it, I hope. (laughs) I think it took me about 700,000 words probably as just an estimate to to end up with 90. Lori Frankel says that she throws about 300,000 words out. I was like, how? She said, if I knew what they were ahead of time, I wouldn't put them in. Yeah. And it's a problem when you're like me. I have trouble writing that messy first draft. I really want everything I write to feel good before I move on. And that's Mm -hmm. not a good habit to have because you end up polishing and polishing and polishing over days. And then later on, that whole section ends up getting tossed. So wouldn't you agree that you find out what you didn't know when you learn it at the right time? Like, like it, it's a building thing. I don't know what it is you don't know until you get in there. I agree. Yeah. Uh, novel writing is, is incredibly complex on any number of levels. It's a challenge, but it's a fun challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. You have daughters. So what are your daughters? I'm I'm sure they've read it. What do they think? One of my daughters has has read it just recently. They're both very, very busy women. And I applaud that. My older daughter who hasn't read it is a, a nurse practitioner with two and a third children. She's on the third. So she has her hands very much oh, yeah. full. And the other one, my younger daughter who just read it, she spent most of the time that I was writing the novel, she was getting a PhD in clinical psychology. And wow. she just got a job as a professor. And so she hasn't had much time, but she took a little time on a recent break to to finally read it. Sounds and, like the ladies from your house are doing well. They are. And thank goodness. Uh, we've been very lucky, very blessed. Mom included. The book blurbs you have, I mean, Leanne Moriarty, that's huge. How did that happen? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's a funny story. You know, my editor at HarperCollins and my agent both uh, took a few people that they knew and asked them for blurbs. But there were other authors that I just admired that I wanted to write to personally. And Leanne Moriarty, most people, when I when I say her name, they don't think of her as being funny. But if you ever read any of her mm. novels, I laugh out loud several mm-hmm. times during each of her novels. And I felt like she and I create the same kind of characters that they're realistic. They're just a tad, you know, exaggerated, but they're still within the realm of real. And so I wrote to her and I, you know, said what I felt, you know, that I admired her work so much and that I thought it was interesting that people don't think she she was funny, but she'd always been somebody I admired. And, you know, I think I, you know, may have thrown in a little humor in the letter and somehow it just must have touched her enough to make her read the book, which was wonderful. It was a huge compliment. The time anyone takes to read one of our books is huge sure she gets hit up all the time. And that really speaks to her interest, also speaks to the quality of your book. Oh, well, thank you. The other person that I was delighted to have blurb it was Sarah Haywood, who wrote The Cactus. I don't know if you read that book, Mm -hmm. but she was very kind in saying that it made her laugh. You're off to a big start. The writing community has lots of surprises. Sounds like you have found one of the nice surprises is that other writers are very supportive. What does your writing social life look like? Friendships through Grub Street or do you have critique partners? I do socialize with a lot of writers. I still have a critique group with some of the members of my class. Each class in the novel incubator each year has 10 students. Mm -hmm. And there are five or six of us who are still in a group who meet monthly and read each other's works and Mm -hmm. critique them. There's also a group in town here. I live in the greater Newburyport, Massachusetts area, and we have a group of writers who get together and share woes and successes <laughs> and craft ideas. And uh, yes, definitely through Grub Street, I just finished reading a couple of great novels. One, Henriette Lazaridis's novel, Terra Nova, and yeah. Rachel Berenbaum's Atomic Anna, mm-hmm. both great novels by talented writers who I have the privilege to know. I'm about to open up Jane Roper's The Society of Shame, which also looks like a really fun book. Talked to Henriette a couple months ago about Terra Nova. Very interesting. Yes, yeah, she is an interesting lady with all the stuff that she does and the topics that she's taking on. Yeah, it tires me out looking at her Facebook feed. I mean, she's just <laughs> always skiing or hiking or doing something very, very athletic, very athletic to offset the the writing life, I guess. You're going to start a new novel. Do you focus on the characters, the plot, outline, write a summary? What's your go-to? It's an interesting question because of course I've only written one. I do have an idea and a start on the second one. And the first one I have to say was definitely an experience in pantsing because I didn't really know what I was doing going into it and went down a lot of rabbit holes that I probably would be happy to avoid in the second novel. So yes, I would like to outline more in the second novel. I'm starting with developing my characters and trying to make sure they're fully developed before I do anything. I really admire characters in people's writing that are not just rounded, but surprise me. That's one of Mm -hmm. my favorite things in novels because I've read some novels recently where I wasn't that invested in the characters. And I, I 
was thinking, well, they seemed a little unidimensional. Sometimes we give our characters a wound, we give them a goal, but I think we forget to give them complexity and contradictions. And we're all filled with contradictions. And that was one of the things that I tried to do in Graceland. I have one character who is kind of a, a mean girl, but she doesn't see herself as a mean girl. She sees herself as someone who is protecting herself and others. And I find that kind of complexity interesting. That's what I want to, to get back to your question, that's what I want to have fully formed in my mind before I actually start writing the second novel. I've written little bits and pieces. I've been hearing a lot just in other podcasts and also guests on the show, people talking about whether we go plot forward or character forward. And someone, I want to say it was from the Shit No One Tells You About Writing podcast. Somebody says you can have this amazing high concept plot. Then if you just stick a character in, you get that, you know, no dimension. It's just a flat character. And the importance of really developing those characters before you stick them in plot. And it's it's got me thinking this next book, I'm going to do things a little differently. 53 years old, I can learn something new. It is an amazing learning experience. I I think you could write for 40 years and still be learning every Mm -hmm. step of the way and improving. And I think that's what makes it so much fun is it's both artistic and challenging. There are so many craft tips and books and, you know, you go to a conference, even if it's just one little, little nugget you take away. There's so much to learn. And from the drafting to the editing to the revising to the promoting, it's just all, yeah, there's just so many facets. Yeah, it's, it's hard to keep in your head, honestly. It's just, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's hard to keep a novel in your head. You've got usually between 300 and 400 pages of material, several characters, sometimes multiple timelines. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Never mind keeping in mind all the, the craft things we should be remembering. <laughs> Does this scene have an arc? Does this scene have a turning point? Besides what you already told me, have you read anything interesting lately? I love, as everybody does, Lessons in Chemistry by mm-hmm. Bonnie Garmus. Yeah. Uh, that that was definitely a favorite. And I already mentioned that I, I loved Gabrielle Zevin's earlier one of her earlier books, but of course, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow is great. Excellent. What would you say is the most fun part of writing? I think the most fun part is when you get into what my psychologist daughter would call flow, the process of flow, when you are just so deep within the character or the scene or whatever it is you're creating that it's coming very naturally and time passes without you knowing it and you you don't want to stop. Those moments of flow, of course, are, I think, balanced by 10 times as many moments of just sludging, drudging <laughs> through it all. Those are the great moments. Apart from, of course, you know, there's always the great moment of getting an agent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was a big one. I ran around the house screaming and <laughs> and getting a book deal. Yeah, those, absolutely. those are fun moments. Getting a blurb from Leanne Moriarty. Yeah, I was going to say, don't forget about the, those blurbs. <laughs> Do you have any advice for new writers? I have two different kinds of advice. One is to get into a class or a critique group where people are going to give you honest opinions. I think a lot of people are afraid of critique and I get it. It's writing is a very personal thing. Without it, I think we can't ever step 
back enough to really see the problems in our work, or even if it's not problems, uh, the ways that we could make it better. So I think critique apart from your friends who will (laughs) always hedge a bit. That's why there are friends. So it's got to be some impartial group. The other thing with new writers, I would say is don't give up. If you if you believe in what you have, there are thousands of stories, and mine is one of them, of, of you know, experiencing a fair number of rejections before getting an agent, getting a book deal. You have to, you have to just persist. Nevertheless, we persisted. To learn more, visit nancycrochere.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support. 